Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Turkey. Gobble, gobble day. Yeah. Gobble, gobble. I can't believe that this is real, but, uh, of all the days for you and I to block off some time to record, <laughs> you texted me on Thanksgiving Eve and said, Hey man, how's tomorrow morning about nine. Yeah. I'm not doing anything on Thanksgiving morning, but boy, we are dedicated to our something to wrestle audience. Are we not here? Well, we are. are doing something. Aren't you? Aren't you like Kirk cooking like 19 fucking turkeys or something like that? Yeah. I have 25 people here. The most ever. Uh, I didn't even think I had that many. It's way more than I didn't normal. even get invited. No, you did not. Uh, up. I invited you to mine. All of the, uh, the, the Megan side of the family is here for the first time. And buddy, it is, uh, it's more than normal. So I got extra turkeys on and, uh, I, I got a lot going on this morning and you're like, Hey man, do you want to talk about survivor series? Oh, six. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> well, how many turkeys you got going? I got two, but I'm thinking two going too. Yeah, but you're cooking two for four people. No, no, no. See, that's where it changed. I got boyfriends and girlfriends. Oh, and, uh, yeah. It became a kind of became a full household. I got I got nephews, in laws, and girlfriends, and it's it's a lot. Um, I it, have less than you, but yeah. I mean, as as you and I are recording, there are ten people in my house asleep. Wake them up. Well, I'm, I mean, I just yelled something to wrestle. I think they're probably awake and I hope you guys are too. Hope you enjoyed Turkey day. Greatly appreciate you guys joining us here each and every Friday. At fr it's Friday noon's main event. By God, I had to explain that to Pat McAfee last week. Instead of Saturday night's main check. event. Yeah. And he, and he said, he goes, I goes, ah, I just check on Saturdays now, Bruce. And I said, man, that's, that's just crap. And I had to explain, I said, it's Friday noon's main event. And he argued with me, but he said, he's now, he's now set it on his thing to Saturdays. And I said, that's just, that's just wrong. That hurts inside where it counts. It's actually fair because you and I have recorded. Forget about fair. Okay. Let's talk about survivor series with our thing. You want to talk about surviving series? Well, I do, you know, last All week right. was maybe my favorite survivor series, uh, survivor series, 1996, 10 years later is what we're going to be talking about today. 2006, uh, you've got three weeks between cyber Sunday, which we recently covered and survivor series, and you've only got three brands to promote. <laughs> so three weeks for three brands for one big show. And, uh, next week will be our 300th episode. Uh, the follow-up effort to this, uh, pay-per-view was survivor series 06. So conventionally we would say, Hey, we'll just talk about the next one, which is December to dismember. But as, uh, what did, what did bulldog used to say? It wasn't even there. Yeah. So we won't be doing that one. Uh, but let's talk about what we are talking about. Philadelphia daddy. Uh, one of the homes Philadelphia of WWE. Freedom. Tell me, I love you brother. Love. 
I love it's the city of brother love. I'm fired up about survivor series just because it's a fun Thanksgiving tradition, but it does feel like it was, it became at least to me and my fandom, a little less special in this particular era. I just have so many, uh, I don't know, fond memories of 96 and I don't really for 06. Let's, let's talk about what was going on and maybe we can diagnose where I was on this. Um, Meltzer would write. For whatever it's worth, an explanation going around is that SmackDown having so much success, the pressure is on raw writers to come up with an edgy show and they tried and seemingly failed at doing so. This was very reminiscent of a Vince Russo written version of nitro. I don't think this show in and of itself was a disaster, just as an aberration type of show where you wouldn't want to see a second week like it. Now, just to add context, the edgy things are Eugene turned heel on Jim Duggan and beat him up with a two by four. Eric Bischoff was the guest GM and he's helping all the heels. Umaga's destroying Maria. That's right. Umaga's destroying Maria to set up a John Cena save. And maybe the most historic portion of the night, of course, was Kevin Federline challenging John Cena to a one-on-one -on -one match at the new year's day raw. And it's a pretty interesting show. Otherwise too, besides the controversy, we, we get a main event of Roddy and, uh, and, and Ric Flair defending the tag team titles in a no DQ match against rated RKO DX would run out and help Piper and Flair get the win. And then old Eric gets his face pushed into big Dick Johnson's ass. Lot to unpack here. Eric comes back for a guest spot, I think to uh, help promote the book and whatnot. And Hey, by the way, uh, while you're here, we're going to shove your head up. Big Dick Johnson's ass. Eric was a gamer. Can't say he wasn't. No, you can't. Eric was always a Eric did business. Yeah. Eric understood that Eric Bischoff, the character on television was different than Eric Bischoff, the human being and the person in real life. So Eric never had any problem having fun with his character and doing whatever it is needed to be done and, and got it. Eric got it. No doubt about that. Um, he got big Dick Johnson's butt. Yes, he did. It was all greased up for him too. Smackdown is taped right after, uh, as the European tour is uh, set to begin right after this. And it's announced here that Batista will be taking on King Booker for the world title at survivor series. And on the show, Booker would defeat Lashley with help from Charmel. Uh, it seems like this is just set up to really help Lashley move to ECW. Uh, Kennedy is going to do a pretty heavy angle where the undertaker, where he leaves him laying and bloodies him up. This is a big deal. You know, in, in hindsight, the Kennedy thing feels more like an experiment. It wasn't really sustained, uh, for whatever reason, but man, you gotta be, Vince has to feel a certain type of way about a guy to let him leave the undertaker laying and bloodied. Right. I think everybody was looking for something special out of Ken, uh, including the undertaker and in order to do that, you needed to make some investment and, and try some things. So there was confidence there on our end that we really wanted to see Kennedy blossom. What better way to blossom and what better way for the general population and general audience than to get into a program with the undertaker. Uh, there's a lot of promos going on with the Guerreros Chavo and Vicky. And well, then there's Chris Benoit and they're talking about Eddie's estate. What was the goal here? What story were we trying to tell Bruce? Well, you had Vicky who came in and Vicky, you know, looking 
to be a heel and to be controversial. And it was, but it was also, you know, based in reality. And I think that even still today, that when you look at uh, different programs and different angles that have taken place with some of the superstars of the past that have left us and, and people go, oh, that's in poor taste. I think that you would have to, you know, for people that don't know them personally and don't know what the business meant to them, uh, really have no room saying that. Because I think that Eddie Guerrero, everyone that was close to Eddie said the same thing. Eddie would love to be a part of things to continue on without him. Um, so, you know, yeah, it was just, it was using Eddie to help get Vicky and Chavo over. And I think that Eddie would have definitely endorsed that. It's like, you know, when they did the deal, uh, with Paul bear and CM punk and undertaker, uh, I wasn't there at the time, but I knew when I saw that, I was like, man, Paul bear would love this big bill. Moody, Percy Pringle, the third would love that. So from the observer for survivor series, expect to see a lot of TV commercials listing the main event as raw versus SmackDown versus ECW in an elimination match. That was the original main event when the TV commercials were cut, but they actually nixed the idea probably two months back when they decided on the champion of champions three way for cyber Sunday. So we know in this era, we've talked about this before you had to have something to those pay-per-view companies way in advance, but as we know on the show here, plans change Conrad. So, well, you know, here's the crazy thing. How, and not you look at it through 2021 eyes and, and think back on that, that you had to have something produced. You had to have something delivered so that the cable companies could put it into their rotation and put it into their system, uh, well in advance. And you had to give them something the ability to change on a dime didn't exist then nowadays, man, we can change tonight for tomorrow and TV stations and everybody would be able to adjust on the dime in this digital age that we live. Um, what did you think of, you know, the concept, the original concept raw versus SmackDown versus ECW would that have worked? Yeah, I think it would have, you know, and, it would, and I think it would have been a little more interesting as well and put ECW on equal ground as well with, with raw and SmackDown, which would have helped. Uh, maybe yeah. it would have, maybe it was already dead on arrival, but, um, in theory, the concept would help bring ECW up. I get what you're saying. Yes. I, yes. I, I do. I am curious though. Uh, and again, not trying to start a fight. I know how, to, how particular you get and cranky in the morning. Uh, but do you think, do you think the average WWE fan is like a raw loyalist or a SmackDown loyalist sort of thing? Like, man, I love raw, but I hate SmackDown. I hate those guys on Smack. I don't like Smack. You know, I don't, I don't know that that it doesn't exist in my fandom is the reason I phrase the question that way. I like my guys and I like my stories, but I don't really have like, I don't go to sleep under SmackDown blanket. If that makes sense. Why not? Well, I don't, I don't know that they have them, but maybe you should. You want one? No, not really. <laughs> what do you think? Is their brand, their brand, <laughs> is their brand loyalty with fandom? You think? I don't think so. You, you want to know what's crazy? What is is during this time we did 
We really? actually had blankets, raw blankets with raw superstars on them. SmackDown blankets with uh, SmackDown superstars on them. I don't think we had an ECW one, but I know we had a raw and SmackDown one. And I actually think I have a SmackDown one uh, somewhere in this house. But that Kane used to that used to be Kane's blanket. My goodness. Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. But I do think look, there there are segments of the audience that only do watch Raw and that only do watch SmackDown. As crazy oh. as that sounds, but but there is. There's a large segment of the audience that, that only watches one show. Larger segment that watches both. If you were a re- uh, I guess you still are a wrestling fan, you know what I mean. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, do you think there is um do you think there's any way that you as a kid would have been one or the other. Like to me, I'm a WWE fan, right? I watch both. I, I can't imagine. Maybe me and you are super fans though, right? And yeah. So- yeah, I think so. I, I think that there is the larger population that's a WWE fan and, and enjoys uh, elements of both shows. But I don't think that I, I have to agree. I don't know that from a fan perspective that. Oh, I like, you know, I'm, I'm behind the SmackDown team. Go SmackDown. It would depend on the individuals that were a part of that team who you'd be behind. Um, it's reported in the observer three names uh, who are now mainstays for the WWE were offered developmental deals. Check these out. Claudio Castagnoli, uh, European or Switzerland's most money-making man. We know now as Cesaro TJ Wilson who we know now as Tyson kid. And of course, Natty Neidhart, they're all about to come on board. When were these three first on your radar? And, uh, what were your initial impressions of them when they were first coming in 15 years ago? Well, first of all, I've always been a big fan of, uh, Natty and, uh, TJ from the time they were kids, you know, it was like, it was just a matter of time. When, when are you going to be old enough to be in the ring? So, you know, from, for me, those two, I think was just a matter of when, you know, timing, um, with Claudio, frankly, I really don't remember Claudio being considered at that time. You know, Claudio didn't make his way up to the main roster, uh, until after, you know, 2009 or 2008, whatever it was, but I remembered, uh, Claudio from his days in ROH. And I always remember thinking, Hey, you know, here's a big guy that could do something on the roster, but I, I really don't remember Claudio being a part of that. I definitely remember TJ and, and Natty just because of the, of the heart connection. Uh, let's talk about, um, Jim Ross at the time his contract was expiring. And this seemed like a pattern for a while where it felt like JR's contract was coming up and there was some debate. Would he be brought back or not? Um, was he not a priority to Vince? Was he maybe thinking about hanging it up or, or taking some more time at home or why wasn't JR just an automatic goddamn gotta have Jim Ross. Do you? I don't know. I I'm, I'm asking. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, I think some of that, um, some of that falls on Jim where Jim so wasn't it, sure. And he would sort of play cat and mouse or, or maybe Jim, you know, 
I, I really don't know what Jim did and or didn't do, but if Jim knew his contract was coming up and went in to renegotiate, then he, he should have been on top of that as much as they should have been on top of that as well. But, um, maybe it was Jim's just thinking, oh, they'll just renew me automatically without broaching the subject. So I, I don't have that answer. I don't know what was going through Jim's mind to, to let it get to that point. I think that at least well, he's for in, me, he's in kind of a weird spot, right? Where, because he would normally be the guy extending people's contract, but when it comes not to his this time, okay. Yeah. So Jim, Jim had already made the move to Oklahoma and had kind of removed himself. And this was more Laurinaitis during That's this right. time. He did that handling. in like 05, right? I think. Yes, sir. I think that's about yeah. right. And, and, uh, Laurinaitis was doing it for talent, but I think someone else did it for, um, television. And I really don't remember who that was, if it was Kevin or, or who that was at that time. So uh, big show is taken off of, uh, the European tour due to his back injuries. And, um, he feels like another talent that's written about a lot in the newsletters. Um, for various issues, whether he was injured or Vince wasn't happy with him. When do you think he really reached his rhythm and found his spot? And there was some, some peace for big show and Vince McMahon and the WWE relationship. It was off and on. And I think that maybe the reason it was off and on was look, man, uh, big show was a seven foot giant that what's easy for average size people, um, wasn't easy for big show and his body did take a, an awful lot of punishment and it took a little bit longer to recoup, but show would, would continue on and deal with the injuries in, in how he thought was best to deal with the injuries. And I think it just caught up to him after a while. And it wasn't anything that just time more than anything and deterioration. Was there ever talk of having John Cena and Umaga in a singles match here at survivor series, instead of this 10 man elimination tag, it feels like Umaga has the rocket ship strapped to him. And clearly John Cena is the brand. Do you know if that was ever seriously considered as a big time main event, or was it always just because it was survivor series going to be a big elimination tag? It was more because it was Survivor Series to do the traditional elimination tag team match. And um, Cena and Umaga was going to be going to singles. So it was like, well, let's wait for that because you kind of have a freebie with the elimination tag. It's Survivor Series. Um, what would your role be on these European tours when you're doing TV over there? Do you just fly over just for the TV or, or do you have to go to some of the other shows here in 06? What's that look like for you? Just do TV. I would fly over and I would, I would just come in and all I did was the television show. You know, there were times, for example, in, in the summer at one point, I believe we did Florence, Italy or, or something. And then, uh, the next week, was the UK. So we had a choice to either go to Rome for a week on the company's tab, uh, or go on tour with, uh, your respective brand. We'll see you in Rome. I went to Rome. Yeah. I would guess. 
Yeah. Uh, WrestleMania 23 tickets go on sale in this period. Uh, of course that show is going to be a Ford field and there's literally nothing announced. There's no matches announced. It's just WrestleMania and WrestleMania is such a big brand that you sell almost 50,000 tickets immediately. Uh, when do you remember when it clicked in your head? Oh shit. They're just, they're coming because it's WrestleMania. It's not about the match. It's not about the headline. It's not about the poster. Uh, we, we slap WrestleMania on the, on the thing and they're coming. It has its own brand that might be as big as WWE. When did that click for you? Do you recall? Wow. Um, probably. Probably in the early two thousands, but uh, you know, frankly, it, it did it in the nineties as well, where, you know, you didn't know what the attraction specifically was going to be, but you knew it was WrestleMania and you knew it was a big deal. So, uh, you had to be there. You had to be in atten- in attendance for the whole spectacle and for the whole weekend of events. This mother's day and father's day, look no further for the perfect gift than paintyourlife.com. It's worked for me every time. And when I say every time, I mean it. I've used paintyourlife.com to bring tears to the eyes of my mom, my dad, even my father-in-law. And right now I'm ordering one for my mother-in-law all from paintyourlife.com. My mother-in-law's life is her dog, Missy. And this year, my wife and I knew exactly what to get my mother-in-law for mother's day, a painting of Missy. It really is that simple too. All we needed was a, a picture from our phone. Boom. We're up and running. You see paintyourlife.com can really create a hand-painted portrait to fit almost any budget. And it's the perfect gift for your mother, your father, or both. I've used it, as I said, on almost every person in my life. I've given these to my wife. I've given it to my cousin, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law. If I'm looking to give a truly meaningful, personable gift, I know the paintyourlife.com has my back and they're going to make it easy. You can go ahead and start the entire process in less than five minutes. And what's really cool about paintyourlife.com is they can even combine photos. Maybe you want to put two people who never met in one of your favorite vacation spots. You can do that. Just upload the photos. Bam. You're good to go. Maybe grandpa never got to meet his grandson with paintyourlife.com. That can become a reality. You can put people and places together. Even if they've never been there, you pick the artist, you pick the medium. Do you want oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even go ahead and pick out an awesome frame. The whole process to get started, as I said, takes less than five minutes and you can actually get your painting in as little as two weeks, but you work hand in hand with the artist to get every detail. Perfect. If you're looking to get those waterworks going to have your mom or your dad tear that paper and just almost be overcome with emotion. That's what I got. And I've never gotten that reaction to a gift card. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guaranteed. And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. Now to get this special offer, just text the word wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. That's wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four text wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. So the uh, the gross from the presale itself has already become an all-time record holder for the largest gate in North American history. Do you remember this being something that was even discussed? Is it high fives all around the office? Is Vince taking a moment to smell the roses, or is it just you know Bill Belichick approach? We're on to the next town. We're on to the next one. Yeah, guys. Okay, great. Now, how are we going to make this even better? What else can we do? Uh, I, I don't know what we attribute that to. Maybe it was a hot market. Maybe you had a hot product. Uh, maybe it was a combination of things, but there is something I want to discuss from the observer. This is a quote. Nobody has made the connection, but the SmackDown turnaround and Michael Hayes as head writer have gone hand in hand for all the people who complain about too much of the same. You really now do have two fairly different products. I think that's a hell of a compliment that Meltzer paid Mr. Hayes. And, uh, I like the idea of saying, Hey, now you really do have two totally different products. What was it about Michael's approach that made it so different than what was happening on raw? Um, I don't know if it's necessarily Michael's approach. I think it was more, it, it was a different approach. That's, that's for sure. From where SmackDown had been with Heyman, um, more entertainment based and, and a little more fun and a little more, a little more attention to, to story and to, um, being different. But I thought Michael was, was really good in that regard. What uh, Michael Hayes online, uh, often gets the only press or discussion he gets is his crazy dress. You know, the way he presents himself sometimes is a little over the top, but he's having fun with it. And then, you know, the fanny packs and I'm a free bird and blah, blah, blah. But the dude knows professional wrestling. And I don't think enough people talk about that. Wouldn't you agree? I would say that Michael knows sports entertainment. Yeah. I think Michael knew sports entertainment, uh, long before anybody else in the professional wrestling business, there you Michael go. was a sports entertainer. Michael, you know, was doing albums and bad street Atlanta, GA do do bad street in the whole USA do 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 bad street, nasty and hot. The further down the block you with the batter, it got to do, 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 do. So, um, Michael got that. Yeah. Michael understood, man. Mike, Michael liked the Gaga. Michael liked, uh, the over the top presentation of everything. So, uh, yeah, Michael, Michael got it. Michael gets it and is able to present the product in that way. Let's, let's find out what, you know, what else can you do? What else is going to make me connect with you? I just think Michael's uh, criminally underrated uh, as a creative mind, and uh, I'm glad that Meltzer's giving him a little love here. Uh, well, that's not good, but I think that from from overall, I, I, in general, 
you know, from the audience, yes, we all have fun with Michael as, with some of his idiosyncrasies, but Michael from day one in the business, hey, I was main eventing the Superdome when I was six years old. Who the fuck you ever be? Um, people forget that. I think he, well, he doesn't let you forget it. Um, there's talk in the observer about Stephanie McMahon wanting Daniel Rodimer on raw by January of 07. Uh, what was it uh, that Stephanie liked about Daniel? Do you think? Well, I think that a lot of people like Dan, big Dan was when you looked at him, that was someone that you could see, you know, on a poster for a WrestleMania. He, he had the look, he had the personality, um, However, he was missing it and he approached, he approached the business as a work instead of approaching it as a shoot and then working it. And that's the big mistake with people when, when they approach it, anyone, uh, in the business, if you approach this as a work and that, uh, ah, Hey man, you just get through it because it's all Gaga, uh, it'll never get over. It may get over for a time, but it won't stay over. Uh, the card for survivor series is announced and there's some interesting teams and matchups. We've got Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, dusty Rhodes, and Sergeant slaughter are announced as Ooh, a team. Baby, listen, that, that's a funky, that's some funky ass shit right there. Connie you got my old nemesis, Ricky Flair and little Rodney Piper on there. He, he did a little dressing on and, and then the old Colonel himself. Colonel Bob Sergeant Slaughter, big Bob Remus whooping everybody's ass. Who who could possibly who could possibly want to stand across from them? In 06, do you think this was uh too much of the good stuff? Ooh, probably so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Dusty Without His Shirt in 2006 wasn't the same as Dusty Without His Shirt in 1986. Uh, if you will, then there's team DX, uh, which is triple H Shawn Michaels, the Hardy boys and CM Punk, which in hindsight is super interesting. The Hardy boys had been around forever. Uh, arguably one of the more popular babyface teams in WWE history. Clearly Sean and Hunter are top of the food chain. They've sort of brought back DX here, but CM Punk, he's the sort of the new kid. And the rumor and innuendo has always been that there were some issues with triple H and CM Punk that maybe triple H didn't see CM Punk as a top guy or what have you. Did you know of those perceived insecurities or unpleasantness or what have you in this era? I think from the day that Punk stepped into a WWE locker room, there was that perception from a lot of people until you know punk actually did it and then e even then I, I think that there were still the doubters um in that regard but at this time i don't think it was just triple h i think it was a lot of the old timers that viewed him that uh, what the hell is this guy punk was brand new here maybe they just didn't quote unquote get it um they hadn't seen it. They hadn't experienced it. And I don't, and frankly, I don't know that, um, I don't know that punk got it yet. It took a little while for him too. You mean in terms of how to get the WWE the connection with the audience? Yeah. yeah. 
So maybe he had done it on the independent level, but doing it on TV in the WWE universe was different. It's a different animal. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some other different animals. What are the differences in doing TV in America compared to Europe? Nothing other than the, uh, plugs that you plug into the wall. It's pretty much from our point of view. We bring our entire crew. We bring all of our people. The only thing that's different is the equipment. The raw from England is focused on uh, DX doing skits of Wayne's world, Monty Python, airplane, and Austin powers. Uh, and also, uh, beating up and outsmarting all the heels, literally all the heels in the company. Um, what do you think of this in hindsight? Was this a mistake? I mean, do you think we gave Hunter and Sean too much here? Did this do more damage long-term than good? Do you think? Well, they didn't beat all the heels in the company and it was a storyline, you know, that was being told and it was an opportunity at that point to, to have some fun with the stuff. This is actually the tour, I believe where, um, in the middle of a live shot with DX in, in a bathroom. And I was hearing, I was hearing a headset or I was hearing something coming out. And the only speaker that was there was a program speaker. So I'm thinking that this is, coming out over air. So whatever we have going on in here, oh my God, it's going to be picked up on air. And I started pulling plugs. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of them. And to hear the crew and to watch a couple of the, the crew guys that were there that day that, that saw me do it, it was like a madman that was just pulling out, uh, disconnecting everything. Uh, and, eventually disconnected the, uh, the power to backstage. Oh, and the power to, yeah. Well, that's, uh, I would consider that less than ideal. Yeah. Yeah. That was less than ideal. Now. I mean, obviously you realize it when everything goes down (laughs) and I plugged it right back in, uh, that part, but that was a fun walk. And I finished up and I made the walk up to gorilla and I sat and found Vince and I said, Hey, that was me. I fucked up. And he looked at me and goes, what are you talking about? So I went, uh, we had the little glitch there in the power. I said, I unplugged some stuff because the audio I thought was bad. And I inadvertently unplugged the, the power. Thanks. Didn't even notice. And I knew Kevin would be screaming on headset, but since I'd unplugged all the headsets, <laughs> no one could tell. Uh, and then I went to the truck and it was pretty much the same thing. I said, Hey man, I got to apologize. I said, I, uh, that was me. I, I unplugged the power backstage. And he's like, Oh, okay. He goes, we just thought it was UK, you know, different equipment. So I got off pretty, pretty easy on that one because it was, it was chalked up to, well, we're in the UK things happen, but that was like one of the, that's, it's a nice moment to be liked right there. Cause that you, was a stupid moment. That was like a, that was a stupid moment in my career. Just like, what the hell was I thinking? But buddy, if you weren't Bruce right then, can you imagine if it was like a new guy who unplugged the back that that'd be bad. That'd have been bad. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I also immediately went and told on myself. No, Maybe it, nobody else could tell on me because nothing else was plugged in. But uh, Well, there's that. There is that, so nobody got a chance to do it. Uh, so Flair and Pipe <laughs> Piper are going to drop the tag titles to rated RKO in the main event over in England. And it's reported in the Observer that Roddy was in extreme pain during this European tour. And it was thought to be a kidney stone, but it's actually a mass of tissue near his spine, which would later be diagnosed as Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, what do you remember about his discomfort here? And then the discovery of, oh, this is a much bigger issue. Well, um, I think, and I don't know, you know, knowing Roddy, he, he might've told a few people, but I remember Roddy telling me and showing me because I think Roddy wore a shirt for, uh, his matches over there. And so nobody saw him, nobody saw his body and he pulls me into a bathroom and he goes, I got to show you something. And he pulls up his shirt, you know, down by his kidneys and everything it was all just, just purple. And I said, damn, Roddy, what'd you do, man? I said, you gotta, you've, you've gotta get checked out. And he was like, so help me God, man, if you tell anybody, uh, he says, I know he goes, I, I, I need to get home. I said, okay, but you need to get checked out now because that's not normal. And so I actually brought the doctor into him and the doctor checked him out. He's like, yeah, you need to, you know, go get cat scans. You need to do this. And, and he didn't want to do it in the UK, just flat out refused. And he went home right afterwards and it was, it was something that they didn't, uh, prescribe it or prescribe it. They didn't diagnose it, uh, as lymphoma at that point it was uh they you know bad bruise and maybe some damage to the kidney and and all that they did a myriad of tests but at that point had not had not made the diagnosis they didn't make that diagnosis for a little while but he was a hurting puppy and roddy is one of those guys man that you know the show must go on i'll tape it up that's literally literally what he did but it was, and he made sure not to show me, you know, again, another Roddy. He didn't show me till after the match too, because he was afraid I'd pull him from the match. Wow. It's, uh, well, uh yeah, it's crazy. It was, it, that one was crazy because I, I was, I was scared. I was scared just looking at it. And I said, I, I can't not. I can't <laughs> not tell somebody about this. I got to get the doc in here. You could be hurt bad, Roddy, and you need to go to the hospital. And we got him off the tour right after that, but it was, it was like, you need to go home and go. Um, Piper's obviously not going to be able to wrestle for long here. Ron Simmons is going to be replacing him. Why was Ron the nice guy? I think Ron just, you know, kind of fit in that role with the legends and everything. I think that, uh, Ron was, Ron was Ron. I think Ron could pretty much fit in any role at that point. Dang. Uh, Monty Brown is announced as being signed on November 15th. Uh, I was a huge fan of what he did in uh, TNA and, uh, or even earlier this year, Jeff Jarrett and I have talked about 
his experience with Monty and how he kind of viewed Monty as maybe the one who got away and he did get away here. Um, signs on November 15th. What did you think initially that Monty Brown's ceiling would be limitless? Yeah, I, did I thought that Monty Brown, I was a huge, just admirer of Monty Brown's work. And I thought that this guy could come in and be a breakout star for us. And unfortunately it just didn't happen. I think there was an issue with his brother or something that he had to leave and, and never came back. Um, there's a meeting between WWE and pride on November 17th, as reported in the observer. Um, what's the thought process regarding this meeting? Were you, I know the, the word has been out forever that Shane McMahon really liked the idea of, of having some association with MMA and we've heard different rumors one way or another. What was the meeting with pride about here? By the way, for those of you who are listening and maybe aren't MMA fans, pride was like bigger than the UFC in this era, but like the UFC of Japan. So it's a big time operation over there in that era. And, uh, the idea that you're even having conversations with them is kind of fun. Yeah. I think it was just a courtesy more than anything. Uh, I met with the guys with pride in Japan when they first started and the presentation at the time was this, this was a shoot group and oh my God, everything's going to be a shoot. And it was a work. I mean, it was all a work. Uh, I don't know if that continued after the fact, cause I really didn't follow it, but in its initial stages, uh, Victor Quinones and I went and, and met with them on one of my trips to Japan and they were looking to, to bring some of their guys in and possibly do something with us in the States to get the pride name out there. But, but it was, it was way in its infancy. So Bruce, I'm going to need you to, I mean, we got to go back to what you said. Oh, it was a work. It was always a work. Pride was always a work. No way. Yes. Why do you say that? Cause that's what they told me. So in a meeting with pride, they said it's a work. Yes. I said, we're working here. He says, we work really snug. And we want to present this as a shoot. There's a lot, there's been a long time theory that, Hey, a lot of the Fedor stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, a lot of guys assumed, well, this might be a work that might be a work. The involvement of the alleged Yakuza or, or what have you, uh, that became a big talk, but never has anyone just come out on the record and said, oh yeah. It was a work. And now here you are in a loud and clear voice saying, oh, they told me it was a work. And you're almost like, eh, what's the big deal? It, it wasn't a big deal. And I don't know what they evolved into. I don't even think they had had a show yet. Oh yeah. They had had a bunch of shows by this point. They were, but no, 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 no. I'm saying in the nineties. Oh, I see. I see. I'm so, saying their form formative years that, and you're talking and dream again. stage entertainment. That was the outfit that put these shows on, right? whoever the hell it was, it was, I went to a Japanese dojo and met with whoever the hell was the head of pride at the time. I, I have no idea. It was a Victor Quinones deal. 
and they wanted to do something with us. And the pitch was, was that they were a shoot fight group. And when I said, well, we're not interested in doing it. He goes, no, 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 it's a work. It's just very stiff. It's presented as a shoot. So they would have like become a thing as the attitude era is getting kicked off. I think like 97, 98, somewhere in there. So you think that's probably around the time. That's you had probably you? around the time I was there because they weren't, they weren't a big, they weren't a thing. I don't even, like I said, I don't even know if they'd had a first, big major show yet. I got you. I got you. But their, their pr- presentation to me was that it will be presented as a shoot, but we we are working. We work very stiff and it'll be presented as a shoot. So the go home, okay. I mean, listen, I, you blew my mind with that reveal because it's been a rumor forever. Right. But the idea that that was the original intent and just so everybody's clear, you know, the idea is you present it to look like the UFC, but it's enough WWE that you can have stars. You can build stars. You could make a Mike Tyson, right? Sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, is that the one where Ken Shamrock went over and beat the shit out of guy out of the guy and then gave him his arm? I think that's a different one. Okay. That didn't happen there, yeah. but, 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 you know, Fedor and, um, Crow cop. I mean, a lot of these guys became super Vanderlei Silva. I mean, punk's whole wrist roll thing is inspired by Vanderlei Silva, who was a big pride star and. Anyway, let's keep it going. The go yeah, home and, and look, it may have developed into a shoot. I have no idea. I'm just telling you what my interaction with them was at that time, which is to say that they weren't totally opposed to let's do business. Correct. Yes. Uh, so the go home episode of raw features Umaga squashing Sabu, Jeff Hardy and Johnny Nitro face off in a ladder match. Of course, Hardy retains dusty Rhodes does a promo, which leads him to, uh, beating Nikki of the spirit squad. Lita is going to announce her retirement and that it's going to take place at survivor series. And that seemingly just comes out of nowhere. Just six days before the pay-per-view. Do you remember, was there hope that she would resign and then it just didn't shake out. So, Hey, we'll just do it. We'll do it in a week. There's always hope, but I think that, uh, Lita had already made up her mind. I got you. So you guys were maintaining hope that you wouldn't have to do this. And then when it became apparent, it was like, well, uh, we didn't really plan for this, but I guess we'll do it Sunday. That sort of deal. Yes. Okay. Uh, at the SmackDown tapings for their go home show, MVP beats Kane in a cage match. Kennedy gets bloodbath by taker and Batista agrees that if he doesn't beat Booker at uh, survivor series, he'll never get another shot at Booker T's title. Uh, these are all uh, some little last minute opportunities to help sell some pay-per-views. And now we're here, the 20th edition of survivor series. And it's really the second longest tradition of WWE besides WrestleMania. And it's a sellout. So even though I don't look back at this show super fondly with great memories, buddy, the business is doing very well. 14,400 fans sold out and a gate of 931,000. So business is pretty damn good here. I mean, if you're hitting nearly a million dollars in those six on not WrestleMania, not SummerSlam, not the Royal rumble, pretty good. Business was good. Yeah, it, it definitely was. And again, this was kind of one of those that sold out without really knowing all the attractions as well. 
Let's uh, let's also mention the 05 Survivor Series was main evented by uh, SmackDown, which was Batista, Bobby Lashley, JBL, Randy Orton, and Rey Mysterio. And they beat a team of Raw, which was Big Show, Carlito, Chris Masters, Kane, and Shawn Michaels. Regular old traditional Survivor Series match. That show did 400,000 buys. This one does 383,000 buys. Only 17,000 down. You know, when it's a, a, a move like that of less than 5%, is it even discussed? I mean, 5% one way or another, is that major? It doesn't feel it to me. No, you always want to do better. I of mean, course. it's here, here's the thing that, that you run into a trap with success. And I'm sure you've, you've done this where you, you reach your goals. So that once you reach your goals, you set new higher goals. Yes. And you set new higher goals and then you fall short of those goals when you sometimes make it almost impossible for you to do, but you have to do that. Yes. You always want to do better. Yes. I don't care what it is. You always want to do better. Otherwise you shouldn't have a pulse (laughs) if you don't want to improve every single time. Totally agree. And just sometimes it's, uh, it, it is what it is and, and you can be happy with it. However, there's always that feeling inside. Damn it. Wish we did better. The readers of the wrestling observer that week thought they wished you did better too. 41.8% thought the show was a thumbs down. Meltzer would write with so many pay-per-view events, they now have to do some themed gimmick events instead of presenting marquee cards because of the inherent problems they've backed themselves into. The WWE has three brands with limited headliners, with little upward mobility of wrestlers that leads to a very limited pay-per-view main event pool and far too many shows that leads to needing ideas like elimination chambers, survivor series rules, and cyber Sunday gimmicks simply because they don't have enough main event, main event matches to run through the shows they have to deliver. Uh, I don't think that's an unfair criticism. I guess you've got to sort of make a decision. You know, if you have one brand and too many top guys, you can't feature them all. But if you have three brands now, maybe you feel like you don't have enough. It's sort of damned if you do damned, if you don't. Right. Well, it's also, you have to look at reality too. And, and remaining in business, you have to be able to deliver different types of events. If every single event is just, well, here's another match, you know, pay-per-view. Well, here's more matches. You you need themes. You need to shake it up. You need to do different things. You need to have that in there because if you don't give variety, it's, it does become the same old shit. Uh, Meltzer would say usually at survivor series, there are subtle backstage angles to tease something that would build for Royal rumble and often WrestleMania. This year, most booking is being done on a week to week basis. The return of Stephanie McMahon at this point is said to have only slowed up the process with most booking on a week to week basis. Very little is planned ahead to build for, and there are none of those teases. One company source familiar with the goings on said the creative process here is at all time high in frustration. I can't imagine that the shows, the creative and the people involved in the players won't undergo some major shakeups through mania. I mean. That's part of the deal, right? I mean, frustrations with the creative process, especially when you've got three brands and you've got joint pay-per-views, 
that's always going to exist. That's not exactly new. Did you feel like here in 06 that it was maybe at an all time high as was described here in the observer? Not at all. I think that if anything that the, I think that the addition of ECW probably gave that impression because with very few, I say this very, yeah, very few supporters that, that really thought that really thought there was anything to a, an ECW brand and reviving a dead brand. Um, much like WCW, you know, before that, that it just, you're going down a dead end street. Do you think survivor series should help build towards Royal rumble or WrestleMania? Or at this point in 06, was Survivor Series just a November pay-per-view? I think it was a standalone. I think that because of the just the way that the event is. And, and there there can always be subtle hints to the Royal Rumble and to WrestleMania. You know, specifically WrestleMania, much more than the Royal Rumble. But you can always drop hints and do some different things in, in any pay-per-view if you want to. But... Survivor Series had become kind of that standalone novelty pay-per-view. Do you think any of, uh, I mean, it's sort of insinuated here that Stephanie McMahon is, uh, slowing things up. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Was she trying to get her feet, feet underneath her? Is this probably sour grapes from whoever's talking to Dave? Uh, or is it just a challenge, man? If you're in that spot, everybody's going to have these sort of conversations about you. Yeah, and and it was it was an easy out. It was an easy out because Stephanie was the one that was put in that position and had just returned. So of course, why why don't you blame her? Um, not fair, not true. But I can see where people would go back and go, oh well, that must be what it is, without ever understanding the process or understanding what what everything goes through. I just feel like you're in a unique position to respond to that because I'm sure you have social yeah. media and boy, anytime somebody doesn't like anything, they can't run, they can't help but run to social and say, Oh, Bruce, blah, blah, blah. I, yeah. That's why, you know, and, and you are the one that, okay, I just shut it off because yeah. too much of it is anybody can be on social media. Anybody can uh, write a newsletter and, and sit from their messy office oh, in California. No, I'm saying I'm anybody can do that, but they haven't actually done anything in the business to speak from experience and have a little empathy for what actually transpires, nor have they ever had a skin in the game to say, okay, well you're making decisions here. Uh, no one makes decisions to fail, right? So when you look at the business end of things, it is a business at the end of the day and you'll always look for scapegoats, but the process was the process and it was what it was. There's always, I mean, man, the months from October to April are hell. They just are always have been always will be. You're on the road, you're on the road to WrestleMania and things are going to change nine ways from Sunday. And you're going to, uh, 
build things and then somebody will get hurt. That's the reality of the business. And also too, no matter who's quote unquote running creative, uh, are we pretending Vince McMahon doesn't exist? Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's just amazing to me. The show opens. Let's get to the show. Uh, survivor series. Oh, six opens with the spirit squad taking on Ric Flair, Sergeant Slaughter, dusty Rhodes, and Ron Simmons. Uh, Ric Flair is 57 here. Sergeant Slaughter is 58. Dusty Rhodes is 61 and Ron Simmons is 47 and they're taking on Mikey, Johnny, Kenny, and Nikki of the spirit squad. They go 10 minutes and 31 seconds. In the end, the old timers get the win and flair is the lone survivor. Arn Anderson is in his corner. Mitch is in the corner of the spirit squad and Meltzer would say the crowd was hot for the match, but they didn't take advantage of the nostalgia feel or perhaps couldn't. Everyone was expecting one Anderson spinebuster spot, but it never happened. I don't know what shape he's in physically Simmons who worked in a shirt and pants worked early and the spirit squad did a great job of bumping for him. Anderson rammed Mitch's shoulder into the post, but with Simmons still out there, he was counted out at 154. Uh, so it's nice to see that they're getting uh, a little bit from everybody. Um, and apparently everybody didn't look like they used to probably no surprise. Um, Meltzer would write Rhodes, who is really heavy to a dangerous degree, dropped an elbow on Nikki for the pin in six fifty four. Uh, ultimately flair beats Johnny in ten thirty one with a figure four leg lock and the post-match would see the spirit squad come back and give flair a beat down. Kenny turned the figure four figure four over. So flair was in the vulnerable position. And then Kenny came off the top with a leg drop to the back of flair's neck. And there was no attempt as to an explanation as to why flair's partners did not come back out to make the save during the beatdown. two and a quarter stars. I mean, I like the idea that Nate's the last man standing. I mean, he's the guy who's really going to be sticking around and continue to work for you guys uh, on a regular basis, but that doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> you know, they're. Wait a minute. Where did my partners go? I'm just getting the shit beat out of me and nobody's helping. No, you know, that's it. That's your, I, 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 no, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing cause I'm fixated on, uh, flare 57, Sarge 58, dusty 61 and Simmons 47. Hell Right now, I'm right in the middle of that group, <laughs> for my sake. Um, I mean, listen, years ago. It, it, it's interesting that it's written about in a way where people are like, I don't know, you know, oh, these guys are so old. Sting right now, older than everybody I just listed. Sting is 62. He's older. He's five years older than Flair was here. He's one year older than Dusty was here. So, uh, you know. I get that. Yeah, it's it's a- cra- it, yeah that, that part's crazy. Look, man, this match was nostalgia and, and fun. And, uh, and then to get heat for the spirit squad at the end of it, I, I also have to laugh. Everyone was expecting our one Arn Anderson spine buster spot, which never happened. Did he poll everyone? Did he actually speak to everyone that watched this show? No, exactly. Next up, we've got Chris Benoit. He's going to beat Chavo Guerrero to keep the U S title in eight twenty one. The finish would see Guerrero kick Benoit into Vicky and then use a schoolboy, but Benoit kicks out. 
Meltzer would say the storyline here is the Chavo didn't care that Vicky was hurt and only cared about winning. Benoit got the crossface for the tap out. The crowd wasn't into the feud as a whole, but ended up into the match at the end. Very physical, but too short. Three and a quarter stars. We know Chris Benoit was uh, a tremendous professional wrestler, and that's probably where the compliments end. But Chavo Guerrero here, man, great showing for him. And Chavo is just so underrated and, and always, you know, people look at Eddie and then compare Chavo to Eddie. Well, if you want to compare them and their work, I think that their work was uh, pretty damn similar. Um, Eddie was first. Eddie had a ton of charisma that was very difficult to replicate. And you put Chavo in the ring, man. Chavo could go and hang with anybody, I think, in any generation. Uh, the Guerreros, there's not a bad Guerrero. Right. Uh, top to bottom, from Mondo and Chavo to Hector and Eddie and Chavito. Um, not to not to mention, I actually had the, I guess, honor of seeing Gory Guerrero work back in the day in the 60s. So... Usually, man, it'll, it'll skip a generation. And it'll, <laughs> ah, you know what I mean? Um, there ain't a bad Guerrero out there. That's funny. It'll skip a generation sometimes. It, it, well, sometimes it, it does, does. But I've just never heard it phrased that way, and it tickles yeah, me. Yeah, that, that talent skips every once in a while. <laughs> and just doesn't have that it factor. And, and uh, you go down and... and and maybe I'm partial because I love the Guerreros, but no, you, um, are, you are partial, but here's the thing. You're right. He's underrated. And, and I think so is Mickey James. She's out next and she's going to pin Lita in eight minutes and 18 seconds, uh, to win the women's title. <laughs> this is Lita's final match in the WWF for her six and a half year career. Uh, even though it was, uh, announced as her retirement match the very next day. She was being advertised as being available for indie dates using her real name, Andy, Amy Dumas. Uh, the crowd gave her zero respect on the way out. According to Meltzer, although she healed big on the crowd to make sure they didn't because it would have ruined the crime time angle. Had they liked her, the, the match itself was a good match. Um, I didn't hate it. Meltzer didn't love it. Uh, he gave it a star and a half, but after there's a ton of near falls here and, um, Meltzer's critical of the first part, uh, and, I, and I get that. There were a few botched spots, but the finish was okay. Uh, James gets the clean pin with the DDT. After the match, Lita cuts a promo saying it's fans like these that made her glad that she's getting out because they've shown me no respect for what I've accomplished. And as she's healing on them, crime time comes out, and they start a going out of business sale for her merchandise. And she freaks out. As they sold a bra, some panties, and unbelievably an empty box of monostat. And yes, this is a real sentence, a vibrator. It ended with a big box so empty. You could stick a fist in it, calling it Lita's box. This post-match stuff went too long. And the final Lita's box joke didn't get over at all. Star and a half. This is unbelievable this little post-match situation. And two days later, she would get to MySpace. Yes. This is when MySpace was a thing. And Wait she, a still a thing. No, I, I think you might be the last guy using it. Uh, you know, how, I wonder why nobody 
messages me anymore. Am I in your top eight? Am I on your wall? I'm just saying to know. You're the only one. Thank you. Okay. Lita would write to say I was disappointed with my final moments with WWE is quite an understatement. It was comforting to read all your comments and emails. When I got home, I appreciate that you were able to see, I did my best in the situation that was handed to me to give you guys an entertaining match and play along and be a professional with the other stuff that went along with my big farewell night. If that were why I were writing, it'd probably be about 10 pages long with a bunch of expletives and capital letters. This is hard to defend Bruce. This feels mean spirited. We've seen a lot of nice farewells and send offs. Uh, I don't know, but it feels like from reading this that maybe she was not well liked in the back. Maybe she didn't handle business on the right way going out. I don't know what happened or why this would be this way, but. There's gotta be a reason this feels awful. Well, I think if you look at it through 2021 eyes, maybe it, it looks awful. However, at the time she was a heel, her character was a heel. People didn't know Amy Dumas. They knew Lita. They knew Lita, the heel character that she played on television. And with this being her last match to be able to get some entertainment value out of it. And by the way, I thought the match was a decent match. Was it great? No, but it was good. Uh, but Bruce, even if she's a heel to say, uh, so you break the fourth wall and go, okay, I'll thank you. I made me do my awesome. Really great. No, no I'm not even saying that with the heel character on, on TV, but buddy, her last vision of being here or whatever is a vibrator. And Oh, uh, look, she's got a yeast infection and she masturbates. Nobody said that. What's the, we pulled out an empty box of monostat and we had a vibrator on fucking well, WWE. She said it was a friend and a vibrator <laughs> for a massager. Oh my God, dude. I mean, for real, did she piss somebody off? She have a falling out with Vince. You don't know. I, I, to my recollection, no, she didn't. I think that, I think she was probably bitter. I think at the end. But I think that it just was, she was tired of doing it. She wanted to leave. Um, and it was cut short, but it was in the middle of a heel run. And I think that, look, people remember that people remember it. Yes, they do. Good, remember it. Indifferent. And I understand your attitude is all business. So I get that. And I'm going to start a sentence and you're going to cut me off. But if, if this was your daughter, you would say, ah, oh, it's just business, baby. It's just a fucking character. Who cares? Check it off. But come if on. My daughter played a character. Yes. Yeah, I agree. That's what I'm saying. Right. So if she was playing a character, then that would be your attitude, but you could certainly see how a civilian family member, a non Bruce would be like, what the fuck, man? Right. I, I think only people through a critical eye would see that. People that want to see that are going to see that. I totally disagree. It just feels, I don't know. kind of Because mean. again, probably I, I, if it were my daughter, that was portraying a character. I would probably would have done a, a thousand times worse. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Bruce. If nothing else, saying, you're consistent. I, you know, you, if uh, nothing you, else, you're consistent. You want to know, uh, you know, and you know, that's true. I, I don't doubt it at all. Now, don't attack my daughter as my daughter because my daughter's not a public figure and but a character uh, she doesn't play a character right now that I, I will take personal and I will take offense to. Um, 
don't don't attack people's family that isn't in the business and things of that nature. But um, a character, yes. It's it's just uh, oof, something else. Uh, next up, you're we, welcome. We see Triple H, Shawn Michaels, CM Punk, and the Hardy Boys beat Edge, Orton, Mike Knox, Gregory Helms, Ooh. and Johnny Nitro in five straight falls and 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Triple H allowed Punk to say, are you ready? And then endorsed Punk as the new star of VCW and they're off to the races. Um, they pinned Mike Knox immediately, like 40 seconds in and Meltzer would say they made a complete joke out of him because Michael's asked, who was that guy? And was he in the match? There is a funny backstory to this. A few weeks back when the card was put together, and Michaels was told about it. His reaction was who is Mike Knox? He never watches ECW on television and legitimately had no idea who the guy was, why he would be in a match with him. This turned into an inside joke between triple H and Vince McMahon that snowballed into them using it for the finish on Knox. It buried him, but he hasn't gotten over and there are no plans for him. Do you remember this? That, and, and by the way, I don't fault Sean for that. I don't think Sean said it in a mean spirited dickhead way. If he doesn't watch no. the program, how would he know who that guy is? Uh, I've had conversations with folks who are, you know, primetime players. And when I'll mention someone who I think everyone would know, they would have no idea because frankly, when I'm at home watching TV, they're traveling the world performing. So they don't sit down and get an opportunity to watch the show. So I don't take that as a negative, but the idea that we turn the inside joke into something on TV, a lot of the great angles and, and stories that we remember started that way, but this one in particular feels like it's at the expense of someone. Uh, again, I think that in storyline that pretty much everything's fair. And to, to that point, I think this is another unfortunate uh, example of someone plugging for someone so much so that it's to their detriment. Oh, so this is a Heyman, he's a Heyman guy. Yeah, but it was, he was a Heyman guy to, you know, Hey, first night in have him win the world title. And Vince, I don't think he'd ever even seen the guy at that point. And, uh, I had, well, I'm, I'm sure Jr. signed him and hired him. Oh, uh, come on! I brought, but I brought the guy in from California, uh, from UPW, and Mike was a hard worker, a really, really good guy. Uh, but he just never, there wasn't a lot of personality there. Uh, you, you see someone in in training, and you you talk to people, and you you base your opinions on that, and then. You, you go off of that and that's what you make your decisions on. But he was also a guy that played a convict, uh, where I saw him in his work. And then he comes in and you're, who is this guy? You know, what is he? And he just frankly never connected with the audience. And I think there was a general feeling that, that that was shared by the audience and I think that's pretty accurate. So Bruce, we got the whole squad here, you know, the, the baby face side, I guess DX punk, the Hardys, clean sweep. Orton's the last man out two and three quarter stars, a super kick and a pedigree in combination gets him. What do you think of that? Just uh clean sweep on the baby face side. Well, shit happens sometimes. 
was a happy day for the baby faces. In hindsight, that's an interesting picture. Is it not arm in arm? Everybody raising everybody's hands, Hunter, Sean, punk, the Hardys. Yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> Especially when you think of where we are today. Uh, next up, we've got Mr. Kennedy and the undertaker. They're going to go nine minutes and 15 seconds in a first blood match. Uh, Mr. Kennedy is going to do the, uh, undo the padding on two turnbuckles early. And they're telling the story where undertaker kept pounding Kennedy to the body until Kennedy was bleeding from the mouth. Kennedy delivered a low blow undertaker sold it and, uh, very briefly, and then was back on him. He rammed Kennedy's head into an unprotected turnbuckle, but Kennedy didn't bleed after working the body for a few minutes. Kennedy was bleeding from the mouth outside the ring. MVP runs out with a towel, wipes all the blood off, but then throws Kennedy back into the ring at the undertaker. And the finish would see MVP hit the ring with a chair. He goes to hit Kennedy, but Kennedy moves and he instead hits the undertaker. The undertaker is bleeding heavily. The ref sees it and stops the match. So Kennedy is announced as the winner. Kennedy is going to beat down the undertaker after the match. And while Kennedy is going to taunt him with, uh, his whole name gimmick, the undertaker makes his comeback. He makes Kennedy pay for the win by giving him what Meltzer described as one of the sickest chair shots you'll ever see. And Meltzer was pretty critical. He says, how can a company hire Chris Nowinski, who has become one of the major experts on concussions, both treated and untreated in sports after a wrestling concussion on top of his football concussions, left him unable to continue his career. And then allow stuff like this is a hell of a contradiction. I like the story of the match itself. Three stars. If you haven't seen the chair shot, boys and girls, go watch it. Woof. It is an all timer. What do you make of Meltzer's question of how can this be the same company that just hired Chris Nowinski? Yeah. I think different time, different place and was what it was. So, you know, it is interesting. Uh, I think Chris Nowinski had a, a much better career after he left. Um, oh, this business sure. and, and, and football and Chris has done an awful lot of good. And I, I praise him for, for what he's done. So no doubt different time, different place. Is this just, um, for lack of a better word, the undertaker being a little old school. Uh, dude, I really, I really don't know. I just was what it was. And Do you remember there being any, any quote unquote heat on anyone after the match? No, again, this was during a time of transition. So this was a time as we're learning new things and doing different things. And, uh, was what it was. So WWE haters, uh, and maybe undertaker haters might say that at times guys were made example out of physically with these extra stiff chair shots and whatnot. And that's, yeah, the that's just they, bullshit. That's what I wanted to hear from your perspective. You, you give that no credence whatsoever. Zero. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Like on the one hand, it's hard to reconcile how people would believe that. But at the same time, so many people sort of consider him like the, uh, the, the Godfather, right? Who the Godfather taker. Yeah. I think takers a leader. Definitely. Yeah. So it's just. It's weird that that's where people sort of wind up with it, that, you know, 
oh, he does this, but he's the Godfather. So it, it's one or the other. It can't be both. And it's almost universal that he's, uh, he's the Godfather of wrestling. Greatest of all times. Let's get to uh, the next match is John Cena and Rob Van Dam and Sabu and Kane and Bobby Lashley all teaming up to take on big show, Umaga, MVP test and fit Finley Cena and Lashley are going to be the survivors at the end. And with all this talent, it only takes 12 minutes and 35 seconds because we've still got to think about TV time. Of course, that means you've got to get to it pretty quickly. They get Umaga out almost immediately. He's going to take a TV monitor and hit both Sabu and Van Dam with it for the DQ in just under a minute. That's important, right? You don't want to give away Cena Umaga. You got to continue to stretch that out. So you've got to find a way to, you know, tease it, but get out of there. Right? Exactly. And Umaga was really catching on as a monster and it was, this guy's going to be one for the long haul. We, uh, we should mention the show or the match here gets two and a quarter stars. Um, Cena and Lashley do an ugly looking double DDT on show and then a better looking double suplex. Meltzer would say it was funny at the finish as the crowd cheered Lashley against show, but not huge, but booed Cena against him. You're definitely dealing with some Cena pushback here. Is this really the first time you remember seeing that? Oh, six where there was a, an undercurrent of fans who were like, eh, we're over this. Oh God. No, you can go back to Hogan and in the early nineties there, there was, there was that undercurrent with, with Hulk big time. And, you know, look at, look at rock through some of rocks, different runs and definitely with John, I think anytime anybody, uh, is, positioned as the face of the company or the guy, there's always going to be a segment of the fan base. That's going to say, ah, no, I reject you just because you're the chosen guy. Uh, let's, um, also break down if it's worth discussing. Sabu was just allegedly in hot water, uh, earlier in the week at Monday night raw because he fell asleep, but. Rob Van Dam gets eliminated before he does. What's up with that? I mean, less than nothing. Ah, okay. You yeah, know, I mean, we, it's what's best for the match. We like to analyze everything. You know, the deal. No, I, I know, but that that's the thing I, I, I wish, you, you know, that I guess sometimes you, you can get in conspiracy theories and I want to analyze everything. And to, to those that do it, I guess maybe that's how they get their enjoyment. Uh, I choose to just enjoy it for what it is. Good advice, Bruce. Let's talk about our main event. I can't believe it's a singles main event last, but it is. And it's Batista and King Booker for the world title. Teddy long comes out before the match and announces the title could change hands on a DQ or count out. So that's a nice little wrinkle. But Meltzer would say it ended up playing no part in the match. They didn't even work spots where Booker would have a chair and the ref would turn around and he'd put it down and they didn't really work well together. It was mostly Batista's offense and Booker T selling. I think that's interesting. Um, Meltzer would say, why put these guys out there to fail when anyone who had seen their previous bouts would have known it had a 75% chance of failure when put on last is beyond me. The finish saw Booker get the title from Charmel. He then went for the belt shot, but Batista ducked, kicked Booker in the stomach, hit him with the belt for the pin. 
Even though the show ended early, they rushed off the air at the conclusion, really not giving the TV audience the full ability to celebrate with Batista. One thing positive is Batista grabbed the belt and nearly cried and did a great job of putting it over after the match. Not an awful show, but a lot of strange stuff. Hard to justify it being worth $40 star and a quarter. It is a big moment. And I understand why it goes on last because you want to make it special for Batista's big moment here. And his reaction really sells it. But these guys were just oil and water. Were they not? Unfortunately they were. And both, you know, I think Booker's one of the best workers of all time. And, and, and a guy that I feel could work with just about anybody as well. Um, Dave, Dave needed a certain type of opponent, but Dave was an attraction. Dave was somebody that people really getting behind. Look, they just clashed. They, they did not gel well together in their matches. So you're kind of left with that. It wasn't a stinker. It wasn't like, oh my God, that was a horrible match. It was just like, ah, okay. Um, it's a match to get Dave, the championship. And, and that's what it was, but it wasn't terrible. It just wasn't, it wasn't great. Uh, Lindsay wants to know how did Ron Simmons feel being on the legend team? Was he excited to be back even for this one-off? Damn. Yes. You know, I don't, I think Ron felt that his, his bumping days and his days in the ring as an active competitor, he knew those were over, but like this, like this role. A little nostalgia thing here and there. Never hurt nobody. Exactly. Uh, Instagram, a wrestling historian says, in my opinion, later deserved a better send off. How would you have rebooked it? And, and Bruce, I guess we should mention if, if the company felt like they were going to be able to get her back on paper and then they weren't, and now you have a really short runway, it probably does limit your creative opportunities. Um, but in a perfect world, if you had plenty of time to plan it, would you have had a cool way to send Lena off into the sunset? Yeah, but we don't live in a perfect world and I, I, I don't because it's the cards that everyone was dealt and given the same situation and the same, everything, I think it would do the same thing over again. By the way, it's worth mentioning. Not everybody gets the, the, the Ric Flair treatment after WrestleMania 24, the big grand send off. The reality is that's it's not because everybody wasn't Ric Flair at WrestleMania 24, not arguing that. I'm trying to illustrate the point that a lot of times most wrestling careers don't end with a storybook ending. You know, a lot right. of guys don't know what's their last match when they're having it. And, and if you were to ask some of the, the great legends that we grew up watching and you said, Hey, what was your last match? They might say, uh, it was a VFW and so-and-so town. And I mean, they'd have to really think about it. It wasn't necessarily this big grand plan, but I do think that in hindsight, people look at this and they say, Oh, why didn't she get one of those? But even Shawn Michaels, before he popped back up, there was no big retirement angle. You know what I mean? Exactly. And you know, you look at it, uh, there was no retire retirement match for stone cold, Steve Austin. Right. And you just, you deal with the situation. And unfortunately where they're or retirement matches, last matches for Mick Foley and Ric Flair. And then they go off and do other things after that, that, um, okay. Right. Prerogative. Yeah. Go have at it. But it, it kind of, 
keep with the character and just continue telling stories. Ben Ledbetter wants to know Simon Dean and the Simon system who booked this shit. Not me. Sterling Pingree says Kenny pinned the pin dusty by roll up with a handful of his jeans. Why didn't you talk the dream out of wearing jeans for the match? You shouldn't Poor have... buddy. Nobody wants to see that. Listen, listen, you know, Ted DiBiase got jumbo and I got Pinocchio, but listen, it was, nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see that at all. There's leave the jeans on. Cause that's my most flattering part is my belt buckle. Meltzer made a point of talking about how the show ended early and maybe some of these multi-man elimination matches that were seemingly rushed through, they could have had a little more time. Michael has a great question to that regard. He says, how big of a timing issue can survivor series be with a bunch of matches needing a bunch of eliminations. I don't get this expression. He says, can it be a dog's breakfast sometimes? I have no idea what that means. I don't either, but I know mine and your dogs eat solid gold, but the point is. How big of a timing issue could Survivor Series be? Is it a challenge? Not like a Royal Rumble where the timing, you know, is an issue every single time. But in this case, it's got to be like maybe, maybe more difficult than a regular pay-per-view because you've got so many multi-men, right? Not really because you, you still, you still have matches and you still have time. Look, they're all issues. As far as when you have time constraints, you've got to get everything in and you've got to give enough for your main event. You've got to make sure that everybody is represented with the appropriate time and the appropriate time. Sometimes less is more. So, uh, it's always an issue, but not any more than any other event. Uh, GJ refill wants to know. Why have Batista win with a heel tactic, like hitting Booker T with a belt? Seems like a cheap victory that didn't pay off. I don't think so. It was no disqualification. It was what it was. And, and I Booker tried it, it first. I mean, that's the thing, right? right? Yeah. yeah. It was part of the story of the match. Uh, Luke from Eastern Iowa, who did your cool little, uh, Hollywood style painting in your office says what blood type was poured onto Kennedy. And do you get a discount from bloods are us when buying in bulk, asking for a friend? Well, Luke, we sure as hell didn't get it from Iowa. <laughs> uh, Armageddon 2006 is what we're going to be talking about next. It went down December 17th, 2006 in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, the buy rate's going to be way down 239,000, only 8,200 fans in attendance. It's a SmackDown branded pay-per-view with Kane taking on MVP and an Inferno match. Can't wait to talk about that. And we've got a fatal four-way ladder match for the tag team titles with Kendrick and London taking on Regal and Dave Taylor. Uh, Eminem are going to be there. And of course the Hardy boys, and we've got a singles match with the Miz and the boogeyman. We've got Chris Benoit in there with Chavo Guerrero. Once again, for the United States championship, Gregory Helms will be in there taking on Jimmy Wang Yang. A couple of friends. Of the show. Love those guys. Uh, then we've got the undertaker and Mr. Kennedy again, this time in a last ride match. And I know you're probably wondering what the hell last ride match is. Well, we'll find out next week. Uh, and we've also got John Cena and Batista taking on King Booker's court, which is King Booker and Finley and queen Charmel is there. So we're getting John Cena and Batista rubbing up against each other. Kind of a fun idea. Um, but a rather forgettable pay-per-view, but an interesting time where, man, we're talking about what a strong house survivor series had and how we set a WrestleMania record. But it does feel like 
we don't really have our footing creatively. Would you agree with that assessment in hindsight? It was a build. It was a build to get to the next WrestleMania. And a lot of it was new with ECW and everything. At this point, and at least in your mind, in hindsight, Cena number one, Batista number two, or was, was Vince still thinking it was Batista one, Cena two? No, Cena was definitely number one. It's just so fun to look at, you know, when you go back through history and you think about all the guys who were sort of coming up at the same time, whether it was Hunter or rock or Batista and Cena, there's always that competition between two guys. And, uh, ultimately Cena wound up making his mark in a big way in WWE, but boy, it worked out pretty good for Batista outside of wrestling. Didn't it? Absolutely. It worked out good for Batista in wrestling too. Oh, I'm not arguing and, that. I'm yeah. A- I, and, and frankly, couldn't happen to two nicer guys, two very different, uh, human beings, but two really good, great guys that worked hard to get what they got. Hey, and I want to, uh, Thank you for making time on Thanksgiving today for us to get together to do it. I know I had to go back and forth to, uh, and the audience won't hear that, but I took like eight breaks during this to go do stuff with the turkeys and service the 12 people who were here or whatever. But, uh, we made it happen, man. And, uh, I don't know. It's, it's fun talking wrestling with you on Thanksgiving. It's like, uh, one of our Thanksgiving traditions that we either air a show on Thanksgiving or now we're recording one on Thanksgiving, but. This has been one heck of a year and, uh, it's been a strange couple of years and I'm thankful for uh, our audience and I'm thankful for you, Bruce. So thanks for the time today. Well, I, I share the exact same sentiments and, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for you as well. And, um, the fact that we still get to do this and, and have fun doing it still. So it's, it is an awful lot of fun and be thankful for everything that, that you have folks and, and hug the ones you love, tell them you love them. And, uh, enjoy, enjoy the time versus dreading the time. Uh, I know you, you may not know for sure because you probably have meetings in the conference rooms and whatnot, but do you reckon Vince has Cleopatra's egg in his office or on his mantle at home? Well, I, I don't want to divulge that because it's a hundred million dollar egg. <laughs> and then, you know, P- <laughs> and I don't want to encourage anybody. <laughs> Have you seen the movie, by the way? I have. I got to tell you, I, uh, I, I don't normally just run and go see rock movies. I know that makes me a bad wrestling fan, but you know, my wife loves those type of movies. So if there's guns or car chases or whatever, she's all in. So when we're scrolling through and she sees, oh, I'll watch that one later. Cause she knows that's not normally my type of movie. And I said, no, I heard good things. It's a really good movie. Like I love really Ryan Reynolds. Is. The rock is really good. Like. And I thought, man, this is just going to be like a Jack leg, Indiana Jones. No, it is a great movie. There is a good story there. Yes. There's some fantastic stunts and stuff, but, and this is not a paid ad. I'm just, I wanted to Bruce bust Bruce's balls about the egg. And I knew if I waited and did it at the end, we could still have a good show. But now since I did that, I feel like I should mention it is a pretty good movie. Okay. Conrad look here. Oh, you've got the egg right there. I have your home address. We don't, we don't, they don't see video. Dude. Is that a Christmas bonus? You got a, I mean, easy hundred million dollar Christmas bonus. Look at that. I, you know what? It could be sitting right behind your head. Price is right. Oh, buddy. Me and you, me and you both brother-in-law deal. When you get, when you get fired again, I'll have it. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then it'll be discounted to $98 million. It's $2 million off because I know you, Conrad, just so you know. Right, just so you know. Hey, I had a lot of fun today. Hope you guys did too. Hope y'all had a great Thanksgiving. If you haven't already, uh, and Bruce, I know this isn't exactly your deal, but I think even you might enjoy it. If you can spare a couple of hours, <laughs> uh, this week on what happened when we had a watch along from 1996 <laughs> of, of the Starcade show, but we had David Crockett join us and man, David Crockett is like everyone's uncle. He's the nicest old dude ever. He's quickly become one of my very good friends. We had a blast watching that old show. And I know you love the nostalgia and you love flair and dusty and all the, the good old days of blah, blah, blah. Uh, that was a fun show, man. So if you're still in the, if you're listening to this and you're in the mood for some more Thanksgiving tradition, once upon a time, Starcade was a big one. Was it not Bruce? It was for the NWA. Absolutely. So yeah, I know you're not going to make two hours, but maybe some of our listeners will Cause Mr. Crockett, man, that was so fun. You could tell he was having a blast and we're going to have a blast next week. We're going to talk about Armageddon 06. We're going to figure out about this Inferno match and what the hell the last rod match is. And then we'll be back to all things. 1996 on December the 10th, we're covering in your house 12. It's time. Of course, originally this was supposed to be when Vader was the world champion fresh off of survivor series, but that's not the case. Psycho Sid is the champ. We're going to get to see the undertaker take on Terry Gordy in 1996. You don't want to miss that. We're going to probably going to hit you with an ass Bruce, anything on the 17th. And then we're going to do something kind of fun. Bruce this year, Christmas Eve falls on a Friday. So we're going to get no, something I'm well aware. So we're going to get to drop a Christmas Eve, something to wrestle. And we're going to do a primetime watch along from 1988. This is great stuff. Roddy Piper's around. We're going to have some fun. And then of course we'll wrap up the, uh, this entire year together. I can't believe it, but as the calendar falls, new year's Eve, also a Friday instead of, um, what, what they used to call it? Dick Clark's rocking new year's Eve. It's going to be Bruce Pritchard's wrestling new year's Eve. We're going to have a blast here on something to wrestle. We got some fun stuff planned, dude. Can't wait. Can't wait. Stay tuned boys and girls. If you'd like to introduce uh, your friends, uh, who are wrestling fans to our show, but maybe they get a little intimidated when they see our runtime sometimes. Direct them to our YouTube. It's uh, something to wrestle on YouTube and, uh, follow us on Twitter. If you haven't already at Pritchard show, I made Bruce delete Twitter off of his phone. Cause some of you guys are assholes, but still we want your interaction. We want to answer your questions. So Armageddon 06 in your house. Number 12 coming your way sooner rather than later, right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard rock on and happy Thanksgiving. Come on. Hey, so speaking of gobble, gobble, how are you doing your Turkey this year? I'm frying it. Oh, you got the, the only way to have it. You do it in the driveway or you got one of them tabletop gimmicks like you used to have. No, I got, I got like the big extra large, uh, butter, 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 butter ball gimmick. Uh, but it's out on the porch. So I still do it outside. Cause I don't want to stink up the kitchen, but it's not one of those where you can catch the house on fire or whatever. No. Send me a link to that one. I may do one of that. Do one like that for, uh, for Christmas. I'll do it. Did you, can you believe that Jeff Jarrett and, uh, Eric Bischoff think they can smoke a Turkey better than me? Well, my fried Turkey will still be better than any of y'all's. Are you throwing out a challenge for 2022? The great Turkey off next year. Oh, sure. All right. Well, I, well I'd, I'd kill y'all with my Turkey. My Turkey's badass. So here's the thing though. We're going to have to figure out how to do this together. And it ain't like you're ever coming to Huntsville again. I mean, you had a miserable, <laughs> you had a miserable experience last time. Wasn't even my fault. You fell downstairs in New York. Somehow my fault. Not, I mean, I don't even know how that's possible. 
but next year, you know, old double J and easy E and me and my 25 people, we're just going to show up at your house and we're just going to do turkeys there. All right. I mean, I know you won't be there, but Stephanie and the yeah. kids will have a great time. With yeah. us. <laughs> the likable ones will be here. Yeah. I mean, Kane's still a stone cold baby face, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, all right. That's Absolutely. it, boys and girls. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Shit, and we're still recording. Okay. My, my turkey's still better, by the way. Yeah, not a chance. I love that you thought that whole turkey jab was just me and you talking for real. I don't want your fucking fried turkey. My smoked turkey's way better. Not a chance. Well, we're gonna find out next. Mine year. will be mine. Mine will be juicier. Mine will be more flavorful, and mine will be gone. Just like us, out of time. Gone. There you go. See gone. You. See you next week. I'm out. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? You pay me more. Jeff Smith teaches on the sliding scale. (laughs) Those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.